Arnold, Goldman Gregory, and the chair of our technology practice here. Want to welcome everyone to our podcast series, AGG Talks Technology. AGG Talks Technology is going to feature some of my colleagues here at AGG, as well as a special guest such as the one today, discussing challenges we've encountered while assisting clients or, you know, just in the industry at large. All of our topics are going to have some legal component. I'm a lawyer, so... That's just a given. But we're also going to be approaching it from an operational perspective, too, because sometimes it's really important to understand, okay, here's the problem. Now, how do we fix it? So that being said, today I'm here with Tina Simpson. She's a principal at a trauma consulting. And today we're going to talk about interoperability rules and ransomware. Tina and I are going to discuss how organizations can comply with both. So Tina, could you tell us a little bit about what you and a trauma to do and kind of your perspective coming in on this. Certainly. Well, and I'm so pleased to be here today. Traumatus is an SBA certified woman-owned business offering tailored strategic organizational services for healthcare and technology stakeholders. In that, I work with a lot of providers and health tech companies, particularly in context of regulations, compliance, and, you know, being compliant with those interoperability and right of access rules. Absolutely. Tina and I have worked together for years. So with that, Tina, you want to get started. Yes, I'm particularly excited for this conversation, of course, because I'm speaking with you, Lori. I also think it's going to be a good discussion because we come at it from such different perspectives because it really is a needle to thread, sort of that regulatory compliant, but then the practical, how do you actually make this work? And from my own perspective, coming from the value-based purchasing sort of healthcare innovation, this is something that's near and dear to my heart in terms of how important it is that there be interoperability, that the health industry catches up with so many other industries. But then my little compliance heart kind of freaks out a little. (laughs) Um, So I think that we're not alone in sort of reflecting on this challenge. But I think it's also timely, too, because one of the things that's coming out or came out in Biden's executive order, if you read between the lines, we're going to see a lot more FDA regulation. I think this is the tip of the iceberg. And even though there are things that are left out right now, for example, like EHRs and other software that by statute, the FDA can't comply, I think what we're going to to start seeing is uh, CMS using their purchasing power to start forcing these. And um, I think this is the first of many conversations we're going to have about, you know, compliance. I couldn't agree more. You know, the healthcare industry is both so very highly regulated, but at the same time, it's interesting. There's, it's also behind in the, some of those regulations. So there is going to be this, no, we really mean it this time. And I think that certainly, you know, with, with clients that I work with, uh, used to be, you could kind of do your program evaluation every two to three years and kind of let it rest, it could be kind of siloed out, but both because of regulations, but then also the, the just the very, very rapid and dynamic nature of cybersecurity right now, and we've certainly seen this in the past year, that's really no longer the reality. It's something that can't be outsourced out and it's at the table and we've got to, we've got to deal with it. <laughs> and speaking of dealing with it, I think especially as a compliance expert, could you kind of spend a few minutes talking to us about 
what the interoperability rule is and what it means now and what it'll mean at the end of the year. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so again, starting with the definitions, a very good lawyering there, Lori. Um, so there are two regulations, and I want to put it in the context of the CMS, Interoperability and Patient Right of Access, but then also the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology, or ONC. And again, these are Interoperability and Patient Right of Access. And it's important to consider those in both contexts because this does reflect, you were saying, Lori, in terms of the federal government means business. They're working cooperatively across agencies to develop sort of a different framework for how information is exchanged. The context is to make systems that are not, let's face it, are not interoperable. It's very difficult to have access to your own records. Sometimes, as we have seen from OCRs over the past two years, their increased enforcement of failure to give patients their records upon request. So the ONC deals with the technical side. It established sort of these are what you need to do in order to create an interoperable system. It implements the Cures Act saying that, you know, you can't do information blocking. And information blocking is a big part of what the federal government is trying to avoid. This idea that healthcare is a data-driven industry. We feed on data and data is essential in order to provide the right care in the right venue to right patient at the right time. And when one of the problems we have here in our fragmented system is that that's not a guarantee of your provider having that data. And some of the existing regulations make that more difficult. So HIPAA, the playground I usually play in, you know, can have a chilling effect on that data exchange because covered entities such as hospitals, providers, you know, health plans have a duty and they're responsible for protecting that data. It can be quite punitive. It can also be quite lucrative to have that data. So there is not an incentive necessarily to share it. It can be in a market advantage protecting it. And then also you're opening yourself up to liability if you share it too widely or without security standards in place. So these two rules, the ONC saying you've got to create these APIs, this is what information blocking is, and then CMS saying if you're participating in the Medicare Medicaid programs, which we all are, you have to share ADT feeds, you have to create APIs for, to ensure patient right of access, patients access to those records, to ensure that patients can direct that those records are directed to third-party actors, such as those health tech apps. So, and the objective there being so that patients can, you know, better manage their care. But that is a huge paradigm shift from your health data is under lock and key to some extent by the health system that you are receiving care from. And that's a big change. So I don't know if that quite answered your question. It absolutely did it. You know, so what is the problem? And I think you kind of highlighted on two. Number one, and there are problems that face different populations. Mm -hmm. So the one problem to be solved faces the patient population. If I go to a hospital in another state, they're not going to have my records. And if I'm in crisis, I may not remember to tell them I'm diabetic. It enables drug seeking. When you're not sharing information, patients lose. When you're not sharing information, healthcare companies win. Because information in today's day and age, I don't care what industry you are, data and information is where the value is. And so trying to, you know, 
balance that, right? Patient care versus encouraging competitiveness. You know, you know, company is going to stay in business if they're not making money. So trying to protect some secret sauce. But at the end of the day, the patient care went. So, you know, that's the first issue is, you know, how do we still make sure that there's incentive for these private corporations to continue to innovate while at the same time giving patients what they need? And then the second issue is one that is really coming to the spotlight this summer. You know, it has replaced COVID as the word du jour, and that is ransomware. For those outside of the technology space, I think everyone's aware now what ransomware is. It is, you know, a bug that gets in your computer and it spreads and it locks up your data until you pay a ransom. Historically, one of the best operational safeguards against ransomware was what they call segregation. So part of the power of ransomware is that it spreads. The wider it spreads, the more it locks up. So in part, you protect against that by putting fences around different areas. So for example, you would have kind of end user outside world facing applications that you would completely wall off from your back office or from your internal. With the interoperability rules, that is less of a possibility, right? Because now everything has to at least be able to interoperate with each other. And when everything's connected, fences don't work. So now we have a bridge over all these fences, which has the effect conceivably of increasing an organization's risk of ransomware, which is a huge patient harm concern. I mean, let's even put aside the commercial effect. Patient harm, and we've seen this play out, is a real possibility, right? If your DaVinci robot stops operating mid-procedure, that's a problem. What are your thoughts on how are organizations dealing with this right now? Kind of what are the conversations that are happening behind closed doors? So there are three things that I want to respond to that. First, you know, I completely agree. Interoperability, it removes those fences. And I think of it kind of in a pandemic light. We are in a globalized society. There are benefits to that. And then there are risks. And one of those risks are increased risk of, you know, sort of those that high, severe, complete failure. And it's pervasiveness across an organization or other entity. To some extent, I think that, you know, ransomware, it's a very lucrative business and the segmentation, I think it's it's a risk that the health industry is encountering regardless. So even without these regulations, this is not something that can be ignored. This is a foreseeable risk. Um, It's really not so much a question of if for many, but when and how. So the first response is kind of, as as you said at the beginning, it's sort of the word du jour, ransomware. And that makes everyone kind of get a little bit scared. It covers so much. What I would say is foreseeable. So the first part is you have to have a plan for it. We essentially really need to be running war games on how you as an organization are going to respond to a ransomware. Some of that includes backing up. And that is not a, a, bull, a silver bullet because, you know, ransomware can lay dormant and sort of negate your backup. But it can affect a backup, even if it's yes. encrypted. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, so working through each of those scenarios, planning for that, because the thing is, whatever 
industry you're in is so dependent upon your information technology systems. That is a, a no starter. So your business continuity planning needs to be booted in it. It's not pleasant to think about. It's kind of scary, but the better you're able to plan and prepare for it, the better you're able to respond to it when it does happen. One of the things that I have read too is you need to, as an organization, set a threshold. Mm -hmm. Have this conversation about when do we pay? Who do we pay? So that these decisions are already made when people are thinking rationally. Yes. And then you have a policy to follow as opposed to, oh my God, we're all in crisis. The world is ending. Let's just write a check. I don't think a lot of organizations have that yet, but I think that that is something that could really help. Nobody makes their best decisions under duress. I entirely agree. And that's part of why I say, you know, run these war games, run these situations. It's not so much that you're going to actually follow that plan because, you know, that's that never happens. <laughs> but you then have sort of a guidelines to go by. Um, you can rely on your training because you, you're not making those emotional decisions. It's rational. It's you're following a rubric. Yeah. And make sure you know who is on the OPEC list. Right. So that's another. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of tangential, but one real consideration and that we've seen in, in you know, previous ransomware issues is sometimes these are prohibited countries and people from prohibited countries. So that is a, another compliance that you need to war game out, right? Like what if it's someone from an OPEC country? You have 99 problems in that moment. You don't need to add that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so in addition to war games and kind of the, the operational and the procedural, there are technology kind of operational architectural things that can be done. So historically, that was segmentation. Well, it's not an option as much anymore. Then the question is, well, now what? And, you know, the number one thing, back up, back up, back up, but that's got to be balanced, right? So their backup runs a spectrum. You can have what's called a hot site where they are backing up constantly. You can back up every hour, can back up every day, six months. So as an organization, you need to balance the cost, kind of real-time restoration with, you know, every four hours, every day, and figure out what amount of data loss is acceptable for your organization. And it's not enough to just have backup. The backup needs to be encrypted and encrypted in a different way with a different key than kind of your live operational systems. Then the second technological way to manage this is what's called an API hub. And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of technical detail here, but think about it as a clearinghouse. So the way interoperability happens is what's called is through APIs, application programming interfaces. And so company A creates an API to connect to company B, C, D, and E. And so what an organization can do is create a spoken hub. And so rather than all of these connections kind of going from program to program to program to program, they all funnel through a clearinghouse. And there's a virtual security guard at that clearinghouse. And that is the one way in and one way out. Now, the other side of that is if somebody gets in your clearinghouse, then they've got access to everything. So it's not a perfect solution. But I think that over the past 10 years, those of us in private practice and who are not in the government understand there is not going to be a perfect solution. 
we have evolved over the past 10 years from there should never be a security breach to Tina, your earlier point, it's not if, but when, and how do we handle it and how do we ensure against it? So an API hub is just that. It is a better way to handle it. It is not a foolproof way to handle it. I agree 100%. And that kind of, in terms of those technical solutions, there was a great article by Scott Galbari and Drew Ivan, you know, where they said, gave sort of a three-pronged framework for thinking about this. And one of their recommendations was you need to minimize the attack surface. And again, that, that returns to your plan. You don't have 500 widgets out there. You need to be thinking like a hacker and identifying your weak spots. So, and if you're minimizing the one way in, I think of it as like, you know, like those medieval fortresses. There's one way in and, I mean, there's that door you can get in but there's a lot of burning oil and falling mortar uh, to look out for so the breach to which you can control your universe control that entry point i think that that is absolutely the best practice create your maginot line well, and it's interesting you mentioned that because there a lot of people in technology realize this, but maybe not in the world at large. There is a whole community of what they call white hat hackers out there. And those are people who are just as smart, if not smarter than the bad guys, but have a social conscience mm-hmm. and are really committed to helping companies see their risk through the eyes of the people who are going to attack them. So that's another thing I would strongly recommend any organization do is align yourself with either a company or one of these white hat hackers who can work with your IT to help you see your own blind spots. Because the only way to beat them is to join them. And additionally, even if you have the very sophisticated internal team, you're too close to be able to see, as you said, those blind spots. You know, it's really not feasible to internally have that level of expertise in in such a specific area. And this returns to an earlier point of like, you know, I think gone are the days where, you know, you can let your information security system be siloed off in one part of the organization. You revisit it every few years. You need routine expert review. You need to pull in those white hats. You need to test. This is part of your war games, test your fortress and listen to the experts. And I think another thing that I would take from this is in addition to that segmentation, this is not the time of segmentation anymore. This is an investment in your ability to continue to do your business, in your ability to continue to meet the needs of patients. Biggest failure is the unavailability of your business from a patient's perspective, you know, from from a business perspective. I mean, that is catastrophic. So now is the time for investing in in information security. And that includes not just just resource allocation, but headspace. You need to have your information security leaders at the C-suite level, at the table. I think gone are the days where vendors and buyers were adversarial. I think now what a buyer of technology needs to do is come to the table, not necessarily dictating, to device manufacturers, medical companies, what it is they want them to do, but telling them the goals they want and asking them how they get there. And as a you know medical vendor, healthcare vendor, you need to bring the people to the table who can speak that IT language, people who are trustworthy and can help you as a buyer understand, hey, we're not going to be able to contract to keep this from happening, but here's what we're doing to monitor it. This matters to us as a vendor as much as it matters to you. That a 
alignment of incentive, I think, is the way of the future for healthcare companies. And that's evolving from where it currently is as an adversarial. Let me dictate the terms to you and you go change your policies to comply. Yes. You know, so it's a shared decision making, a shared risk model on the space. I think one thing I want to highlight is things have changed so much, both regulatorily and then in terms of the risks that we encounter. This is really a time of sort of adaptive change. This is no longer a space where there's a technical fix that's going to resolve this problem. This is a paradigm shift. So you are going to need to um, move away the idea that this is something that you can tweak something or just put more money there and it'll be fixed. This requires change in mindset. So I think that that comes down to the constant vigilance, reevaluating relationships and realigning, just as you were saying. And then similarly, realignment in terms of, you know, the presence of information security within an organization and everyone's literacy from leadership down to everyone in the front line. You know, when we talk about ransomware, the number one risk comes down to human actions. And there's not going to be a technical fix for, for human nature and the great desire to click on that bunny video or whatever it is. So I think, you know, recognizing the circumstances is important. And this is a moment of adaptive change. So it's going to take some adaptive leadership. Absolutely. I want to thank Tina for joining me today. Tina, it's truly been a pleasure. I always love talking to you, working with you. We hope you found the discussion to be informative. If you have any questions or would like to submit your feedback or topics for future podcasts, feel free to reach out to me. We will, in the notes, give contact uh, for Tina if you have questions or want to reach out about the scope of expertise that a traumatist offers. And you can find my contact information on agg.com. Tina, can you tell listeners how to find your information yes so that'll be tina at a traumatist that's a-t-r-o-m-i-t-o-s consulting.com i'd love to hear from you and Lori, it's always such a pleasure thank you so much for joining us have a great day